Hey guys, I'm Daphne. And I'm Ilaria. And it's time for another episode of Mom Bosses, where we highlight an incredible mompreneur who had an idea and dove in headfirst to make it a reality. That's right. Today's mom boss is Jessica Rolf, co-founder and CEO of Love Every, an award-winning children's education company that makes play products that are designed by child development experts, thoughtfully crafted and rigorously tested to encourage inspired learning for kids at every age, starting from birth. And if that's not enough, this is actually Jessica's second hit company. Prior to Love Every, Jessica was the founding partner and COO of Happy Family, helping to launch, build, and lead Happy Family to its position as the number one organic baby and toddler brand in the U.S. We happen to be humongous fans of the little yogurt drops that they do. They do puffs. It's definitely one of those things that's that's kind of a staple in my kid cabinet. And I just can't get over the fact that it's funny. Both of these things are like kind of just everyday staples. And there's something similar about them where they're so simple but so precise and so quality driven and so much about nurturing kids specific development at a particular age, which I think is really cool. And I can't believe she did both of them. My my mind is blown. All right, you guys sit back and enjoy Jessica's story. Hi, I'm Jessica and I'm co-founder and CEO of Love Every, a child development company that helps parents through their stages of their child's life. I also was the founding partner of Happy Family and I'm a mom of three. And where can we follow you? at uh, loveevery.com. So on Instagram, it's L-O-V-E-V-E-R-Y. So what I'm amazed about with with the um, the, the toys that, that we have from you are that they're so beautiful and so simple and exactly what you want your kids to get into and you don't think they're going to get into and you think you need to buy them the big plastic thing. But then if you actually just let them play with something a little bit more simple, it's exactly what they want. You know, I mean, it's almost, so I'm so fascinated how you came up with this idea in this day and age when everything is plastic, everything has lights and bells and whistles and buttons and all these different kinds of things. It seems like you really just reached into the past a little bit and brought the past into now and the kids are obsessed with it. Yeah. So it's, it's a real, it comes down to neuroscience. So I will say that there are beautiful. So I had an experience where I was down with my baby and I remember him pulling up to one of those, like we all have them, right? Like it's like everything's lights are flashing. I remember him pushing one button and a purple cow is popping out. Like why purple? And music started playing. And I was, you know, I was kind of honestly craving a moment of connection with my little guy. And instead it was like this, this like toy was almost between us. And so I remember my, the first company that I was the founding partner of at Happy Family, you know, I had worked so hard to kind of like go deep into infant nutrition. And so I felt so confident about what I was feeding my baby and like felt really good about, you know, kind of like those early stages in nutrition. But I found myself wondering, like, what was this toy? Which I think we all kind of have that mom intuition, right? Like you're sitting there and you've got this plastic thing, lights are flashing. You're like, what is this toy actually doing for my child's development? Um, and so I think, you know, I had that that question. I had discovered this doctoral thesis based on neuroscience, 
which is all about all the stages that a child goes through. So I also found myself buying all these like beautiful made in Germany, super expensive wooden toys. And my kids like were not into them. And so I think that that happens. Like a lot of us kind of think it's either the plastic is where the fun is at. And then the wooden toys are like healthy, but they're not very fun. And so I think what we're trying to do at Love Every is really tune into deeply tune into what a child wants to learn at each stage and design playthings that are open-ended, meaning they're made with natural materials based on kind of Montessori and the things that feel good to us as parents, but they're also like so exciting for a baby because they're working skills that they're naturally programmed to want to work at that developmental stage. So it's all about really like knowing what your baby wants and needs to learn and is craving to learn at a moment in time and then being able to serve up the right stuff, which is kind of impossible for us to do as parents. Like I remember hours at Amazon being like, is this, is this toy right? Is that toy right? Like I would always kind of be behind or ahead and spend a bunch of money. So the vision for Love Every is to try and partner with parents to help them feel confident that everything they're doing for their child is really healthy for their child. And I think you learn a lot going on. I mean, what I, what I love is so, so you, you can receive a box for every, is it every single month? I'm remembering correctly. So for the for 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 babies, it's every other month, and then ones for, for one year olds, and we just launched products for two year olds. So I can't wait to get those to you as well. Awesome. Um, but the products are then at every three months. So we the development windows expand a little bit as the child expanded because they go slower. Yeah. No, but it was it's fascinating because you literally almost feel like you get a manual for your child. Because you're like, oh, this is what they're learning. And it's about feeling and touching and throwing and gravity and all of these things. Does this fit into this hole? Does this fit into that hole? And you just feel like really good. You're like, I, I'm like, all right, I have a manual for my baby. We all have wanted since the baby came home to have a manual for the baby. And now you have come up with the manual for the baby. And I learned so much with it. I mean, not only beautiful and the kids like it, but I felt like I was, you know, as you're talking about, there there wasn't something in between. It's rather than we were capable of, of really interacting with this um, this beautiful toy. You know, I think it's also just to build on that, even, you know, we're seasoned moms, right? We all have, we all have had children before, but I found, you know, even with my fourth that I was challenged, like, how do I connect with each with the baby at each of these phases? And how do I make sure that I'm stimulating them? And, and exactly what you just described with the purple cow bouncing out, you're like, this is so distracting. This is the, you know, this is the, the equivalent of, of wanting to read a book with your child and having the TV on with like some, you know, bombastic, crazy lights exploding experience. Of course, they're going to be drawn to the the purposefully right. distracting kind of loud and noisy alternative. And I think that there is something brilliant about the way that you've married the old fashioned with the novel, like the the set that we're playing with right now has all these, it's these pastel colored, like interlocking blocks and and like putting balls into a hole, a box with a hole in it. And it's, it's simplified, but because of the color and because of the just like nice fun shapes and novelty of it, it's still interesting for the kids. And also it is, it's, it's pared down. And I think that's part of the connection that I certainly was craving. Like after four kids, after three kids before Gigi, I've had, I have a lot of crap (laughs) that's just everywhere. And I, part of what I appreciated about no guaranteeing that I was going to have this sort of novel, like new introduction of fun, new things to do, but being able to focus at the same time on what I currently had was that, you know, I, 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 I kind of boxed away a lot of the other stuff and made it more about the, the, the slow, but important progress that I could see she was making, you know, every, every week and uh, week after week building on what she was doing. Um, and I totally agree with you. I think that it's funny how much 
you know, that's, that's part of why we want to do this podcast is, is you're never an expert mom, right? Like you're an expert in the kid that you have and you're an expert in the phase that you're in. Maybe if you're lucky, (laughs) a lot of us still feel like we're kind of flying by the seat of our pants and there's always so much more to learn. And there's always such cool novel ways to really excite yourself about the phase of childhood that you're in. Because I do think that sometimes we certainly hear from other, from, from moms that write to us that there's some, some days that can feel like groundhog day. Like I've done this a hundred times and it feels exactly the same as yesterday when I did it then too. Especially right now. (laughs) Especially. Oh my gosh, completely. I mean, it's totally. And so it's kind of nice to have things that, that both simplify and keep it novel at the same time. I, you know, this, this, um, kind of new series that we're doing with mom brain, mom bosses, which you are a part of Jessica is, is, what we're really excited about is kind of trying to hone in on mom's creativity and this idea that I think so many moms, especially in that Groundhog Day view of the world, you're confronted with the same problems over and over and over again. Exactly like you said, you had this situation where you're like, I really want to connect with my child. I don't feel this toy is helping me do that. I know I can create something better. And I think a lot of us get stuck at that point. Like there must be a better solution. What is it? And how do I execute on it? And I'd love if you would talk a little bit about like, how you came up with Love Every and and then how you knew you were going to be able to make it a reality. Granted, you are a seasoned entrepreneur before this, but like even better, give us some of your expert guidance on that. Because I think a lot of moms are scared of that, taking that. Oh, it is so scary. And by the way, it's actually, I found it even more scary the second time. Isn't that weird? It was almost like I had nothing to lose with my, like, like in founding, um, and like being the founding partner of Happy Family. And then with Love Every, I was like, Oh gosh, like what if people think of me as this like I was successful once and then oh yeah, she's a one-hit wonder. This is like really sad. She's trying to do another company, it might not work. It's it's really weird. So I will just say that honoring those feelings everywhere and all the time is so important and also putting them in their place. So for me, um I think so that the the like how I came up with Love Every and it's it's really um been a, like an evolving kind of organic process. And I will say, I love partnerships. I have like the best co-founder in the whole world in Rod Morris. He's brilliant. And I think we've really co-created this company love every now. And in the beginning, we, um, or kind of like, I guess just kept finding myself thinking like this doctoral this thesis, right? So like super nerding out, if I can just take a pause, mm-hmm. um, that plastic toy, I was like, why? Like my intuition says that this like flashing lights thing is not actually healthy, but like really try to dig into the neuroscience of why. So the way that brains are wired, babies have just like all these like you know, like connections that are waiting to be, to waiting to happen in their brains, right? So they're kind of like an open canvas. And then all these connections start forming around things that are based on, ideally based on real life, the environment that they're going to grow up into. And the more you can give them experiences that relate to their world, the real world, then the more rich that brain architecture is. And the more that it's structured as opposed to creating this rich brain architecture around purple cows and flashing lights. Right. So it's like when they're building all this knowledge because they're craving cause and effect. And like when I push that button, that purple cow pops out. But rather, if they're like going around turning on all, all the lights in the house and you're like with them talking about lights, or if they're experiencing what it's like to see a ball, a natural wood ball roll in a wood floor, like that's real deep learning that is sustained learning as opposed to sort of like learning that will be then unrelated to real life. So anyway, that was my little like nerd speech. But um, so what I discovered is that I started giving my friends this copy of this doctoral thesis, and it was this program of activities and ideas. And it just, um, 
kind of, honestly, I realized that like people just didn't really like have, like we as parents are simultaneously overwhelmed and want the best for our kids. So who has time to like read a doctoral thesis on like brain (laughs) development, right? We got to make this easier on ourselves. And I think that like a lot of parents, like we have this, like this kernel of an idea, like, you know, like a mom will have like a really cool idea and it's like something that can be of service to others. And so for me, it started like really kind of manifesting and starting to make my own um, toy. Like I just started like laminating black and white cars. I started like trying to dream of like, if I could have two balls and they looked identical, but one was super heavy and sunk in the bath, what would that be like? And like, and I just found myself like, I could not get it out of my head. Like I just kept thinking of all these things. Like if I could create a toy company, this is what it would look like. And so I think we all kind of have that engine in us. And I think it's really listening to that and tuning into that. There's going to be like all these other voices that are saying like, it's not going to work the second time. You won't be successful. It'll be really embarrassing. <laughs> you will like be known as like the, like the entrepreneur that never became a serial one, like, or whatever it is, you know, there's going to be those negative places. And I think that it's, it's like putting those emotions, especially when it's vulnerable before you have an idea that's out in the world, putting that in its own place and then really focusing on like, what are the next steps? What do I need to do? And I'm going to just act and do and put one foot in front of the other, because every single day you can get closer to making your dream come true. I mean, that's so powerful and goes to something, a theme we kind of talk about is bite-sizing things and just trying to make them, make them tackleable, <laughs> you know, like give them, give them words so that you're not afraid of them and then also make them bite-sized so you can actually, you know, work through them uh, in a, in a material way. You mentioned your, your partnerships and that that's something that's really important to you. How did you find a business partner and what did you think was important to complement what you were bringing to the table already? Yeah. So I like really believe so deeply in partnership. And I think for me, it's, it's really been how it works because you're just, there are so many emotional ups and downs and there are so many, um, I really, you know, kind of like the more it can be like a team effort, I think the better result you get. And so, yeah, it makes it more like you guys are partnering, right? It's just so much more fun. Um, it's also like complicated. And I think that, you know, letting somebody else into your dream, I'm I'm speaking to, let's say an entrepreneur who, and I've had a lot of questions about this, like entrepreneur has an idea and they're like, how much equity do I give my partner? How do I look at this? Like, do I really want to be like, this is like a marriage. It's like one of the biggest, earliest, most important moves you can make. Um, in founding your company is if you decide to have a, have a partner, that's like a big deal. I think for me, it's knowing that there's a growth mindset on the partnership. It's kind of like a marriage, right? You need to be have, you know, authentic communication, be open with each other and like really invest in that communication and that relationship. And so if you, if you can find somebody who's like on a path to can take in feedback, can like, can like want to work on themselves, want to like grow as a person, I think that can make kind of the best partner. Mm -hmm. And also it's like these, yeah, the skills. Like I think that both Shazi and Rod, my two partners in both businesses have been so comp, like there's just been so many skills and I'm just in awe of, of, you know, kind of like both of their brilliances in in different ways. And so I think it's like really been so fun to be kind of do it together. Right. It's also just like, can be so helpful for the emotional, the emotional times, the really hard times. Like that's when you turn to your partner, you're like, we're in this together. I'm not alone. It's going to be okay. Well, I think those, those roadblocks or those challenges, those, those things that every entrepreneur deals with, especially in, in startup life, like what is, um, if you, if you could pick one that is novel to the toy industry that you've had to confront, 
you know, a roadblock or a stumbling patch or something that you relied on your partner to help you get through? Like what, what would that be? What would that look like? Cause I think a lot of the time entrepreneur journeys get painted a very, um, only on the successful parts. And like, that's all people hear on the outside and it can be very, uh, depressing then when that's not your experience because it's not really anyone's experience that it's always smooth sailing. I'd love if you would just, you know, share a little, a little piece of wisdom on that. Yeah, I would say a couple things. I mean, one is kind of particular to our industry. The other is just universal. It's capital. So I will say that every single business, like no, like every genius idea, every, like, you know, everything, like every insight that somebody has, like every business is just like, has a shadow side. There's going to be something that's just super hard about it. And I think it's really easy, like you said, Daphne, to like look at other companies and be like, they have it all. That's got to be such a you know cakewalk to be able to create that company because they just have so much wind behind them and, um, and momentum in a category, right? Like, um, But I think for the toy industry and the baby in particular, it's really obsession over safety and quality. And so the responsibility that we have when we're building toys and food for babies Mm -hmm. was just, it's been so heavy. Um, And there's so much that I think even investors and customers and consumers, like they just don't get the responsibility that we have to build something that is, um, you know, not only regulatory compliant, of course, but that is truly safe. And it is truly okay. So I um, obsess over that. It does like, I have had times where, you know, it's kept me up at night and I will, that's sort of like the inner piece of that, of this industry that's been, that's just continued to be hard and a weight. I will say that financing is just super hard. So for us, I felt like in order to, to create stuff, sometimes you need capital. And like when, for us, like to, you often need like that first chunk of money to be able to put down on a PO, right. To like buy something, your prototype, like your first, you know, kind of like batch that you can test. And so financing, I will say in terms of my, of Rod and my partnership with Rod, like he has really helped me to grow up in terms of our financing and become much more systematic. He's the kind of the thinker and I'm more of the feeler. And like, you kind of need a thinker when you're approaching fundraising because it is so disheartening. Like you, like we got so many no's for as a serial entrepreneur, having a number one selling product in Amazon, having a vision that we believed in. I mean, like 30 no's for our series B, like can't even like just so many meetings so you have to just put out, like, you have to kind of do that thing, what you're talking about, like put one foot in front of the other, make it a process, make it a system. You know, it's, it's like, I am just going to do this. I'm going to show up. I'm going to have all these meetings. And then we ended up like closing with like this, you know, we closed our round with these like great investors and it all worked out, but it was, it was so nail biting down to the end. Like, like, is this going to work out? And I really hope that none of these investors are listening right now because I tried to pretend like I was super confident and we had all sorts of people in our back pocket, but like, it was really scary. And I will say for me, I always felt comfortable with more of like the 5,000 asking like um, the $2,500 checks, the $5,000 checks from people that I might have like friends and family. And you always have those ideas of somebody who's going to get behind you. You're like, oh yeah, I'm starting a company. And I'm sure that I know so-and-so's uncle has money. And, you know, and again, I know that this is coming with a lot of privilege, like having this, like being able to say this network, but I think everybody kind of has someone in their network that they think might be able to be an early supporter. Um, but, but then they, but then oftentimes they're, they're not the ones they like, they're the ones that say no. And then all of a sudden, so having a partner and a co-founder who can kind of help you navigate 
those ups and downs is critical. Other than friends and family, um, when so say say one of our listeners has an idea for something, and they would be someone who has no idea number one how much money you would need to make from this. Like how do you make how do you make it happen? And then if other than friends and family. Where are places that you can look for investors? Like, like you can you just open up, you know, a phone book and be like, um, and the investor page. Look under I for investor. We will go to that one. And really, like, where where do you begin once you have an idea? Yeah, I'll say so. You so thank you. Like, I think that's really important. Once you have an idea, it's really important to pressure test that idea, and you can do that with hardly any money. So there's this like whole sophisticated model, and there's like this whole school at Stanford called the D School, and it's all about design thinking. And it really felt intimidating to me. I was like, oh, we need like, do I need to like have a degree in design thinking in order to test my idea? And it's it's not the case. The the breakdown of design thinking is you make a really ugly prototype, uglier the better, and you don't, and you try not to be embarrassed and you go in and you, you find people like, like who are your target customer, right? So let's say like I was making something for you guys, right? Like one of our toys and I would have to like be totally humble and come into your homes and try not to be embarrassed and be like, truly like, so what did you think of it? Like, and it's something that I, you know, might've tried my best to hack together um, you know, with my friend who's a woodworker or something. And I would give you guys these toys and you would play with them and, and they would be really ugly and they wouldn't be the real van vision, but I would get insights. And because the science says is that the, the uglier your prototype and the more raw you are, and the more, the earlier you kind of invest in testing your product and your idea, the better the feedback, because if you walk in with something really polished and you're confident and you're proud and you're like, here's my thing, people don't really want to be honest with you. But they're actually really willing to be honest if it's like a hack together early prototype because they're like, <laughs> oh, I can do better than this. Like, and so just I think it was, I think, you know, for us, we followed 25 families um with babies for nine months. So we found these like um newborn, you know, newborns and we simulated these boxes. They were super embarrassing. I had a picture of my husband, like with his bare chest with a baby, with one of our babies, like doing tummy time on skin on skin in this like uh, pamphlet. You pinned your husband I like, off. I love that. Oh, you put I that in the pamphlet. Oh, I love that. Put that in the pamphlet because we didn't have a pair. I was like, get a little skin, dad bod showing up. Oh my gosh. Exactly. That's so cute. So it's like, so, like the level of embarrassment was pretty deep. Um, and then we, we went into these homes and we just like listened. And there's something about being in somebody's home. You can really pick up so like your intuition, like there's so much more in our brains that are absorbed rather than the facts of like a conversation. It's like you're absorbing their environment. You're seeing what they, what they want to surround themselves with. You, you kind of start to understand like what they care about. And I think we, so we evolved our system that then became the play kits, um, for a, you know, kind of like in this process for a year. And I think you can do that with very little money. Um, then it comes down to the financing piece and like where to start on financing. And I will say that, um, I think that, the seed capital industry is really changing with, um, I mean, we like, it needs to change and access to capital needs to get fixed. And so we need more opportunity. We need to just create more opportunity and there needs to be more kind of like seed funds, but there are seed funds now investing in women, investing in, um, in like, uh, you know, women who have ideas who just have, no, you know, have not been capitalized before, um, and haven't had a felt like there's a lot of opportunity. There are some funds and, you know, um, I've invested in a couple of them and can like point to you to them and like, you know, SoGal is really awesome. They've just started a fund for, um, 
Black, Indigenous, you know, people of color, like founders um, who are interested in like, you know, getting funding, seed funding for their businesses. So there's like, there's ways for um, you to get started in the seed side. And I think a lot of it is just, again, it comes down to like conviction, um, digging so deep into your network and really having a low minimum, like taking, taking a thousand dollars. Like it might feel like actually a thousand dollars is not very much in terms of a seed capital round, but being able to just be willing to take that and not say like, oh, my minimum has to be a hundred thousand. What, what's one thing that you learned from between your two companies that you would say, like, I'm never doing that again from going from the first <laughs> company? Because at least, I mean, you talk about how difficult it is to, you don't want to be like a one hit wonder, but like, I'm sure that you learned a lot along the way once you made one company, by the way, very successful company. And so, you know, doing it, you have like a little bit more self-esteem, but like, what's one thing you're like, whoa, I would never, ever do that again. Oh, that is such a good question. Cause there are okay, so Okay. Maybe things. not one. If you want to um, use a couple of that, that's okay. <laughs> <laughs> um, I mean, I think that there were so many mistakes. I mean, we, we would overcommit to retailers. We like never had any money and have building happy baby. I remember, um, asking my husband for like, we've got to get these puffs. Do you guys, you know, you guys very, know our puffs, well. like the very yes. puffs, like, very well. like they were like <laughs> taking off in target and the shipment was being held up because they're like, we have, you haven't paid us and they weren't going to ship these puffs. And target was breathing down our necks. Like you will be kicked out of our store if you don't like have products because you're not going to serve our guests. And so, um, we just, we were out of money. We were always out of money. And so, um, so I remember calling my husband being like, we got to wire, like we got to wire this money. Like I, like, I think, you know, I like called my dad, like, I just let like all this like scramble, I think like, so I think the second time around, I'm just, I just don't, I've been trying to be more grown up about it and make sure that we have, that the company is capitalized, you know, it's just, and I'm able to, because we've had more kind of success and had that foundation. Um, but I think that that is what feels different the second time around. We've been able to be a little bit more planful, I would say, because we've, because we've had more success. Right. You feel more in the driver's seat this, this go around. Um, and I, I, I also, you know, having had some experience in like the fresh food or even shelf stable type of food sales thing, it's, it is its own totally different ballpark. It is the whole thing where you're like loaning cash to, you're essentially loaning cash to the, to the retail store while waiting for them to pay you for this. So you can pay the guy who's going to fulfill your shipment. And the whole thing is so crazy. Um, and lots of fluid dynamics there. But I wonder, like, you you had you had a couple really key highlight like runaway hit products with Happy Family. I I you know I I shared. I think I'm like the number one purchaser of your of your yogurt drops. All my kids love them, and the puffs you mentioned they're just iconic things that pretty much every family is enjoying. Um, when did you know you'd hit something with Love Every? And was there was it a particular product? Was it like what what was that sort of t- inflection point that you felt like I'm gonna make a splash in a pretty heavily saturated industry. Yeah. So I think that it happened sooner the second time around, because again, I just like, we invested in testing more. So that process around design thinking and like testing. So our first play gym, um, rapidly kind of became like the, like with love every, the first product that we launched did have product market fit. And that was, and our first product with happy baby did not. And our second product, um, 
did not really, but then we got really lucky because our competitor had an out of stock. So there was a, there was a lot more kind of learning and trial and error and putting something out there to the market instead of kind of doing, having the resources and the capacity to do more internal testing. So I'd say I did a lot more internal testing. So with, with Love Every, it was, I get, I mean, I get sweaty every time we launch something. I get like, re, like butterflies in my stomach, like I get like two weeks where I'm super crabby, can't sleep. Like, just like my <laughs> husband's like, you're going to have like, you're like launching something, aren't you? But, um, but with the play gym, like, yeah, we were able, we became number one in revenue within a year in a category that was really crowded because I think because we were answering something that we all want, right? Like we want products that are beautifully designed, that are simple, that make sense, that are healthy for our babies, that help us walk through the stages of their development and help us feel confident. And so, um, yeah, I would say that, that, uh, our first product being hit at love every made it easier. Having conversations like this, and there's so many people who write to us and say, that um, they have an idea for something. And I think that it's so, you know, how many times do we, are, especially as moms, are like, oh, I wish that this existed. Or it wouldn't be cool if that existed. And so many of us are limited by just the inability to make that happen. And we think it's an inability to make it happen, but conversations like this make it a little bit more of a reality for people who are willing to follow through the very difficult journey that you have done, not once, but twice. Um, so thank you. Thank you so much, um, for, for this, creating your products and and creating our, and creating the products. And we, we, we have the, the stroller and like I had like the play stroller rule was like, nobody, no children are allowed in the play stroller, which is like, of course, That's they're going to sit in the play stroller. And it's like their favorite thing to do. Like all baby dolls kicked out of play stroller. They put my two-year-old in the play stroller and they're like, he's a baby. It's fine. It's fine. It's like, the <laughs> I'm, like awesome. I'm like, he's a very big baby, but, um, but yes, no, we're, we're very grateful for, for all of your, all of your very hard work. Um, and our children are as well, even though they have no idea, do they just think that their life is great because it is. And thank you for sharing so candidly with us, because I do think it's one of the, it's like, like, I, you know, I don't, I don't have a, a company I'm trying to build right now, but even I'm like sitting here taking notes because I do think in in all aspects of our life, other people's experiences can look really simple and really straightforward and, and like the path was paved. And it's really wonderful to hear from people who have such rich experience to offer the anecdote that it's there's always tricky parts and it's how you approach that 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 obstacle or that you know, sort of um, struggle that really, you know, is what makes the journey fun and and your own. Um, so it's really definitely cool and I that. both highly recommend that you guys not only follow, but but try out the products. Jessica, thank, thank you, you so, so much. much. Thanks, guys. Mom, play. Jessica is a very impressive woman to be able to have found two companies that are are staples, as as Daphne said, in in our homes, and to do it as a mom of three children. I mean, it's it's she's a very very impressive person, and, and I love that she was capable because I know a lot of you guys at home probably have some really great ideas, um, and and sometimes you write to us about it and sort of like, well, I have this idea, how can I make it happen? And listening to to women like Jessica not only gives us the you know, the inspiration of like, whoa, she did that. I can do it too. But I love that she really gave some concrete examples about how we can follow her lead if we have a good idea. Yeah. I just, I feel so, I I definitely felt like I bonded with the idea of nerding out over a, a document, the, the doctoral 
I was you were like, definitely nerding Chelsea. out. It was very cute. You were like, and then this, and then what is that? And then and I'm like trying to ask a question. You're like, no, no, I'm still and going. Back to point B. Uh, yeah, no, but but look, exactly. I mean, I think what she was getting at was was really a big part of um of what I think a lot of parents struggle with now is how do I make sure my child is developing at you know and 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 engaging these new skill sets they should be learning and growing with. But but, you know, uh, bringing me into bringing me into that uh, equation. And I think that that's something that, you know, whatever for whatever reason, we sometimes have a tendency to gravitate towards the the bright and the shiny and the like lots of blaring lights and everything. But I love the idea that going back to basics in a in a really modern way and and, a really exciting and like colorful and fun way. So definitely making the basics better. But um, but removing some of the stuff that I think can be ultimately very distracting and like hyper stimulating to kids at a time when the world is already very hyper stimulating to them was really hitting hitting a a, a a bell for me. So anyway, I find her so inspiring. I clearly love both of her companies, and I'm sure you guys are gonna be thinking differently about um about you know if you are brainstorming that cool company or you have that cool idea that you're trying to f- find a solve for. Um, there lo- there's so much good information here that April shared to get you off to the races. All right, you guys, keep the questions coming. We are, of course, mombrainpod at gmail.com. Send us any, like, we love hearing from you. If there are questions, either follow-up questions that you wish we'd asked, which we always learn from. We always are like, shoot, we should have asked this great question. Or um, or particular entrepreneurs and mompreneurs that you think we would really have a great conversation with, we would love to hear from you. And don't forget to um, to give us that five-star rating and review and and let your friends know because we, we love um, growing our mom brain tribe. And we'll see you guys next week. Bye. Bye, guys. Bye.